This is episode 142 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast, part of the MKE Tailgate Podcast Network. I'm James Langer, joined this week by Ryan Topp, Paul Noonan, and Brad Ford. As always, we are sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing. You know their great beers like their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA. Next time you're in Madison, stop by their brewery on Kinsman Boulevard on the east side. You can also get a discount on some Carbon 4 merch just by listening to this podcast. Go to Carbon4.com and use our promo code MKE Tailgate when you check out. That's Carbon 4 Beer Brilliance. You can also help support our podcast network at Patreon.com slash MKE Tailgate. Our ball and glove and above patrons get the Minor League Extra podcast with Ryan and Brad. If you had signed up before the draft, they did a nice draft preview so you would have known what was coming ahead of time. You can also get Paul's reporting as eligible Packers mini pods through the offseason. And our patrons also get question priority here on the program. And you get a personal shout out when you do become a patron. All right. All that business aside, uh, we got plenty to talk about today. And I think we're kind of excited to, to get to this. Uh, we're recording this on Sunday, just basically a day or so after both sides in the labor negotiations kind of just took their ball and went home. Uh, I guess it's more accurate to say the players kind of decided they were fed up. Uh, the owner's last offer was for 72 games with 70% prorated salaries. That worked out to roughly the same 35% of overall <laughs> salaries owners had been proposing all along, which we covered extensively last week. Uh, Fourth so offer, like, same as the other three. Same just the same Once damn again. thing. Like, And it's so cynical. It's so, so cynical. when they Maybe they, they wouldn't that notice that time. Yeah, yeah exactly. Like, come on. The players should have just made 162 offers of their prorated salaries. One for one game, one for two games, one for three games, one for four games. <laughs> <laughs> just submitted it and 162 times. Like it's that's basically the same thing, right? Yeah. So uh, obviously the players finally got fed up Saturday night. They issued a statement that basically, well, not even basically, flat out said, "We're done trying to negotiate. We're ready to start playing. Just tell us when and where." Uh, they want an answer by the end of the business day on Monday. So we'll see what happens there. Uh, MLB came out with a response <laughs> after that that has been, uh, let's just say, widely <laughs> criticized Sunday yeah. morning. Uh, laughed at hysterically. <laughs> yes, as everybody there's, here laughs. There's no longer a shortage of toilet paper, that's for sure. <laughs> right. Uh, so I wanted to quote it directly just so everybody's kind of on the same basis here as we get into this. They said, quote, we're disappointed in the MLBPA uh, that they have not chosen to negotiate in good faith over resumption of play <laughs> after MLB has made three successive proposals that would provide players, clubs, and our fans with an amicable resolution. So, with that said, Paul. Yeah, can I can I just start on just, on the, just go, the just accusation go. of not negotiating in good faith? Um, <laughs> first of all, I mean, we don't have to be lawyers to know that's laughable, but tell us why that's laughable. So that, that's actually a term of art that means that you are negotiating without the intent of reaching a settlement. Like it, it has a legal meaning, and accusing the players of it is ridiculous because the players have moved um, pretty significantly and. I would urge everybody to read Craig Calcaterra's um, column from this morning about this. He is also a lawyer. Um, and the players were, you know, at the start of all of this, guaranteed their full salaries for a full season, no matter what. They came down to prorated salaries just for the games played. That's already a concession. They were willing to negotiate for expanded playoffs, which gives the owners more money as a concession. Um, and it is only the owners who keep doing the same, same exact um proposal every time that that amounts to the same amount of money um with you know slash salaries being bigger for more games played 
that's negotiating in bad faith. They, they keep sending the same offer. When you don't move towards the other side, that's exactly what it is. So um, accusing the players of that is like a step too far for me and all the other lawyers on here because the only people that have engaged in that is them. Um, and th- th- I'm actually surprised by how bad their lawyering has been and how, how much they have been schooled by the players. Um, the other stuff that's all come out is around um, more details than we had about the March agreements. Um, the players started leaking stuff over the last couple of weeks because the owners have been leaking stuff since this has all been going on and not supposed to leak stuff. Um, but it's pretty clear that the owners um, stating that there is an understanding between the two parties that the March agreement was only for if there were players in the stands is just a lie. Uh, it's uh, not recorded in any of the actual writings, yeah, by the way. Um, when you're negotiating contracts for large amounts of money um, or you know dealing with labor for big na- international corporations you want to write them down don't don't just uh don't just go by, don't I, feel, go by I feel like that's how you make sure it's a sure thing right <laughs> <laughs> don't go by memory um it's not a good idea uh, it doesn't, doesn't doesn't usually hold up in court oral contracts um, are worth the paper they're written on is that the well, old, yeah uh, like, yeah i mean i'm gonna have a bunch of annoying lawyers correct me that you can have an oral contract. yes it's true but not really it's not really true um <laughs> um so i yes, mean um the actual MLBPA, quotes here are yeah, like yeah halem said and he's the chief negotiator for mlb uh said that mlbpa is free to take the position that players are unwilling to accept further reductions in a may 22nd letter Hulahan, who is uh, a lawyer for mlb said quote we agree with the mlbpa that under the agreement players are not required to accept less than their full prorated salary this was a month ago they yep. sent this it's almost. in there and the mlb <laughs> has agreed to the idea that no you don't have to accept further uh, salary reductions from what you did. So like they've kind of given up the game here. Yeah. Not like we have kind of all the facts on the table. Anybody who goes and argues that um, there's blame on both sides here or that like the players are also at fault just hasn't done their research. Um, And I was listening to um, redneck talk sports radio last night because I went grocery shopping and that's what everybody's doing. So there's still a bunch of fans that are going to be exposed to that and blame the players. But this is really on the owners. Um, they they got schooled. They they negotiated in March. And by the way, um, we were we were all alive in March. We we all saw COVID um, starting to hit people pretty severely, and what the effect on the economy was. Um, it's not like this was a surprise that there might not be fans. If you're negotiating for a season that may or may not have fans. And it, but it's a required subject of bargaining that you're talking about the finances of it and how many games will be played. Um, it's it's on you, owners, to not specifically call out, this will be with fans, this will be without fans. It's totally within the player's right to be like, okay, this covers everything. And if the owners don't say, well, well hold on, we got to do more. Nope, that's on you. That's your fault. Um, so they have an agreement that they don't want. And they're trying to back out of it. They're trying to um, make people think that they have an agreement that is not the actual agreement. And... Um, I suspect, and I know a lot of the other baseball attorneys, by the, there's so many of them on Twitter, um, <laughs> uh, also think that um, that Halem and, and Manfred really screwed this up. And behind the scenes, there is, they're, they've been trying to sell that they didn't agree to what they agreed to. And there's probably a lot of owners very angry with them right now. Good. Get them. Yes, Go. Indeed. <laughs> Go away. I want you out of my game. Man, Fred hates baseball, huh? Yep. <laughs> be, be a new episode of that sometime soon. 
once I get my <laughs> iPad back from my daughter. <laughs> it just, I don't know. It seems like a practice in, like, this is their culminating end to their practice in immiseration theory since Manfred took over. Is they're just like, how low can we get wages? And here's an opportunity for us to reduce it under the theory that the easiest way to gain capital is to reduce employee wages. And how far can we push that? But, oh, we actually screwed ourselves already, so we can't actually practice this in the way we want to really push them to their limits. Mm -hmm. And the timing of it is hilarious, as James pointed out on here, that this is the same flipping day that they announced that they had their $1 billion plus deal with TBS just for the LCS. $1 billion. Yeah, just for for, like the LCS. This doesn't even include this isn't the Fox contract. This isn't the big the big enchilada that includes the World Series. This is just for one of the LCSs and some other playoff games and all that. And like... (laughs) At the same time, you've got, uh, oh, who was it? It was Bill DeWitt Jr. running around saying that uh, owning an MLB team isn't very profitable. Profitable. (laughs) And imagine the Cardinals to be the vocally outspoken bad guys. Wow. I mean, and and this is like literally days after he closed on uh, buying Eva Longoria's mansion in Beverly Hills for like 10 plus million dollars or whatever. Like, you probably thought nobody would notice that. How like timing on all of that. Well, no, he rich, probably yeah. he's probably like, oh, well, see, ten million dollars to somebody who's as rich as me isn't that much money. So, uh-huh. what's your? Oh, <laughs> you know, like it really? It it does kind of put the lie to a lot of their claims and a lot of their bullshit. It all kind of came together brilliantly, and Tony Clark really knocked it out of the park from a, a statement perspective. It, you do what Paul says and look at Calcutta's piece because he quotes. Yeah clark's thing there and i'll put it in the show notes too i have a note to myself really quick just just to make this point explicit because it's happened twice in the last two days if you have anybody who's getting their baseball info from john Heyman, he when this was reported when this news broke about the billion dollar contract what he was careful to point out in his tweet was that no well none of this money will come in until the 2022 season it's like oh sure they're getting a lot of money but not right now like that guy is terrible and then this morning he had another hilarious tweet about um, the owner is not imposing a 40-something game season. It but won't be 48 it'll, games. It'll start with a five. So, yes. um, uh, imagine, like, imagine, like, it's like you order, like, the the maximum entree, and you're like, oh, it's a three-ounce steak and, like, a claw from a lobster. But it comes with a green bean. <laughs> <laughs> totally. But uh, anyway, that's what that's what the players are dealing with here is, is – a good chunk of the media, less than it used to be, but still is treating this like that. And and can you imagine carrying owner for billionaires in that way? Like, well, this is still reasonable because you sure they're getting three times as much money as they did before, but none of it will come in for two years. Well, they have access to capital markets. Getting paid in two years is the same as getting paid now. It's just slightly discounted. It does literally doesn't matter. It is a stupid point. And um, all of the mainstream people carrying water for the owners on this particular negotiation need to stop it. it yeah, it, I mean, it is infuriating. Ken Rosenthal wrote something that was pretty. It was like, oh, yeah, the owners look really bad here, but don't forget about the players. And it's like, uh, uh, Ken, no, no. Just, don't both sides this. Ken, I do like that just both stop. sides rhetoric seems to have died down. It still exists, but it seems to have died down greatly in the public specter. MLB has done such a bad job in this last round that – specifically this last round that they've lost a tremendous amount of outside support from just common day people you to have failed that bad when you were getting 
an overwhelming support in the beginning for some reason. Uh, <laughs> it, it just goes to show, uh, represent how awful this is, where even people who don't understand labor negotiations or the financial aspect really have now started to be like, oh, they really did just offer the same thing how many times? And there's been so many great analogies that I think have understood it, helped people understand it too. Like Ruby posted uh, where he's like, we promised you a dollar, but how about 50 cents? No. How about two quarters? No. How about a nickel five times? No. (laughs) (laughs) There's been a lot of those. I I do think it's worth looking back as to why they did have support earlier and the fact that they lost sight of it, which is when they started talking about bringing baseball back, everybody got excited that the owners were taking the onus to bring baseball back. That was what got them in everybody's good graces. No details, no anything like that. But people were happy about that. Uh, now they're on the flip side of that in basically actively taking extra baseball away from people. And that's fundamentally more than anything why anybody's turning on them. It's like, well, we could have had like 100 games, but you're doing 50 right. games because you're cheap. <laughs> you like, see all the player proposals, all the player proposals, they started with like what, 118, 118 or something like yeah. that. And then, it, you know, 90 something or 80 something. And then the owners just keep coming back with. 60, 70. The the owners are the party of the illegitimate season. That's what they are, and that's what they made themselves. So they deserve all the scorn they get. Um, Paul, you pointed out before we got on air that MLB has put them in a fantastic situation, or MLBPA has put the owners and Rob Manfred in a fantastic situation because now the challenge is on them. Well, do you want a 50-game season? Exactly. Do you want four games at the prorated pay? Because then why didn't you just agree to it before? Yeah, part of the part of the MLB, uh, the owners posturing here was simply to delay negotiations long enough that they could put a chunk of the blame and hopefully all of it on the players for the short season, basically saying, oh, they wouldn't negotiate quickly enough. They wouldn't be in good faith. Now, this is all the time we have left. So this is as long a season as we can get. The MLBPA lawyers have done a very good job in contrast to the owners lawyers in cutting off negotiations on Sunday. We got a lot of time now. Um, and uh Part of the owner's responsibilities in imposing a season, part of Manfred's responsibilities, um, as negotiated in March, are to uh, play as long a season as possible. So now that negotiations are over, a long as, a, you know, a, as long a season as possible is longer than 50 games. Um, they're going to have to do some... I mean, if they have a grievance filed against them, they might lose it. That's very possible. But uh, the owners, of course, have some more tricks up their sleeve. There still has to be safety negotiations that happen. In their last offer, they asked the players to waive liability if they get COVID-19 while playing. And you can expect now a long and drawn out and dirty argument about um, safety considerations so that the owners can still try to pull this off. And again, that would be negotiating in bad faith, wouldn't it? Because it's being done explicitly just to To delay all this. Negotiating to delay is negotiating in bad faith. That's correct. Right. So I guess... The question is, then, how many games do we think end up being played, given all of this? You know, <laughs> we know it can be as few as 48. Heyman says, for what it's if you're worth, wondering why Heyman, if you're wondering why Heyman's floating a five, this is the reason. Um, they'll, they'll, uh, part of it is just testing PR. Part of it is just, you know, floating what the reaction is to that. I mean, if people were like, oh, good, it's 50-something instead of 40-something, I mean, that would weigh into their decision, I bet. Uh, by the way, I'll, I'll set the over/under on this because I have a guess. I'll bet they Go do sixty-two. It. Why sixty-two? Uh, because it, uh, it is the difference between it's the one hundred um, minus. That's why. Um, it, it, it's nice and clean and short. Um, it, it feels it, normal just it, because it has existing numbers that were already in the season. That's exactly right. It is. It is that like if you don't think about it too hard, it's really logical. And uh, so 
I think that is kind of how the owners operate a lot of the time. So that that's my guess. And it'll be seen as, you know, what, a couple weeks more than they really had that's to. Right. So Two weeks can, plus four days. Right. They can try to spin this as being generous, as like for the good of the people. We'll... Yeah, and and not to not to get too much into stupid numerology, but it is literally two weeks longer than forty eight. So um, that that, <laughs> that is Absolutely. actually, if somebody in the back office came, we don't know where the forty eight number came from, right? I mean, we just it it, somebody threw it out there. Random. I'm guessing somebody was like, well, maybe we do sixty two. It's a hundred. Okay, well, we got to negotiate up there. Let's, what's two weeks? My uh, backwards from sixty. That's forty eight. Okay, forty eight's the number right now. That, that right. may have happened. <laughs> Even the last proposal like, number seemed really weird. Where it was like uh, seventy nine. Yeah, right. They seem to be pulling <laughs> random numbers out. I guess they do. The, the thing for forty eight would be it's what roughly two months in a few days. I guess. But yeah. Like, okay. Still, but what's that? <laughs> exactly. It. There's no real true reason to it. And yeah, I, I'm with you. Sixty two seems kind of clean. But I don't can know. the owners afford the extra twelve games? I don't know. They might oh, go bankrupt. No. Maybe the Angels won't oh, exist no. after this. That would be that would be the travesty is if the Angels, the greatest team in baseball, didn't exist. So before we uh, close this out, I do want to point out one more thing because it's a wonderful uh, Bill Shankin tweet. Bruce Meyer, who is the union's chief negotiator that they hired in the wake of getting schooled in the last the last CBA. Bruce Meyer said that Rob Manfred told him that MLB teams were not interested in salary deferrals because they could easily borrow the money at minuscule interest rates, which just puts the lie to their whole thing that like, oh, if they don't do something, they're going to you know have trouble remaining solvent. No, they're right. going to be able to they're going to be able to, to weather this just fine. Solvency is not the issue. This is about paying as little for their labor as they possibly can mm-hmm. using the situation to to pay as little as they possibly can. And they screwed up in the negotiation where they needed to to spell that out. And it, it sounds like they really they thought they had a deal that they didn't have. And that's really a bad look on them. But I don't know, Ryan. I've never known billionaires to like really want a penny pinch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's really kind of revealing over the last few days just how much they've screwed this up honestly with the, with the now that the players are starting to leak out this stuff you're seeing and it, it's just really interesting to see the two completely different realities the one that is actually happening behind closed doors with the actual legal binding documents in any grievance case they would have as opposed to the pr they're trying to spin here and i think to your guys's point it, it's maybe almost Manfred trying to sell the owners as much as anything on this because he, you know, maybe he is fighting for his job. Well, we had a question from Mad Max about that, right? I believe we did. Yeah. So we had, we had a lot of questions this week, so we can jump around a little bit and just jump. Uh, Mad Max on Twitter sent us a question at MKE tailgate. He asked if Manfred were to be voted out during the next CBA, who in the ranks of MLB would be a good new commissioner who actually likes baseball and will help grow the sport. The only one I really remember from the last time and I didn't want to happen because I didn't want to lose him was Mark A. I know Mark Atanagio, he can be a penny pinching jerk sometimes, but at the at his core he loves baseball. He's he's always helped provide a competitive team. But I remember that one being like hard. And at this point, like last time I was greedy, right? I was like, Oh, I don't want to go through like the ceiling thing where all of a sudden like Mark A's kids run in the 
damn organization. Uh-huh. Meanwhile, using his he's money got to a rock perform. band to run. Yeah, yeah, exactly. he's got to perform at Summerfest. Um, <laughs> well, not this year, but yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine like he's performing at Summerfest, but he makes like the players or like the cheerleaders be like his backstage up dancers, like up right. <laughs> just really flaunting his power. So that that was like my dread, but at this point, like at least I know Mark likes the game. I mean, I can't see them getting rid of Manfred, given that he I think it was their lead negotiator for the last three or four CBAs. I think going back to like 2002, he he has been the guy, even when Selig was in charge, he was their lead negotiator. He did so much for the owners in terms of whipping the union in every CBA before now that if the owners were to turn on him, I just sort of wonder, like. I, I know that there would be other people who would be like qualified to step up and do it, but I don't know if there's somebody like with the institutional knowledge that he has, because he's been with MLB for like 20 years. I can't imagine them finding somebody that they is more of a shark and better at his job than Manfred, even if he did screw this thing up specifically. Like he's screwed up so little from the owner's perspective to this point that it seems like it would be tough. But then again, we've seen a small group of owners force out a uh, a commissioner before with Faye Vincent. So we've seen a, it doesn't have to be that many unhappy owners to force a guy out. I guess it, it could happen. It, I guess it depends on to the PR hit that baseball really faces from this. Because it's one thing if you help the owners keep money and they're happy from keeping their money. But if they've taken such a hit that they are losing money on the back end because there's lack of investment in their product by the public and advertisers because they no longer see it as something that, I mean, there's a lot of people really sick about this, really annoyed with it and don't want to deal with it. So if the leaks and the negative image are so impactful that it ends up taking away from their money pool in the other way, I think that's when you really look at the situation and see uh, way Manfred's out the door. But in terms of, yes, he's upset us a lot, but he's keeping the owners rich. Well, that's his job. Maybe not as rich as they would have been, though. I mean, this is a high profile <laughs> loss. Yeah. And I, I don't yes. know. I don't know who would be better. Not a character loss, but it's definitely high profile, right? Like, Yeah. And I don't know who would be better to step in and and take over for him necessarily. Um, I don't think they'll ever pick a Milwaukee person again for at least a hundred years or so. But uh, uh, billionaires don't take kindly to like big high profile losses like this. And if it does cost them even you know real money, um, not maybe you know maybe it doesn't hurt the billionaires to lose whatever they'll lose this season playing if they lose anything at all. But uh, you know the perceived wins here, if they had, let's say hypothetically, they had negotiated that there'd be a different deal with no fans in the stadium, or at least had that position left open where it was on the players that they weren't negotiating that further. um, And it hadn't been closed off in March. The owners look a lot better here. They probably are in a position to get much more of what they wanted and a lot more money. Also, the fact that you've been around for a while and been parts of successful negotiations in the past doesn't always work in your favor. If you get schooled by a new guy who just came up, that right. can actually be worse for you. You know, experience is good until it, it is cast as old age. And, uh, <laughs> you know, not that Manfred's like an old man, but at some point that that does start to cut the other way. And yeah, just being very out, very schooled in, in this, I, I could see them start to look at like, nah, maybe he might not be our best of breed anymore. And we maybe have to start taking a look at new law firm and new commissioner. 
and he I kind of comes off. Yeah, sorry, Brad. Yeah. He kind of oh, comes you're... off as like the Seymour Skinner meme of like the <laughs> no, it's the children <laughs> it's who the are children on who much. Are exactly. Right. Uh, and I want to say on the record that my Mark A thing was more tongue in cheek. I just want someone. I'm less afraid of losing it or like. I just want it to be someone who actually seems to care about something <laughs> for, that is not hoarding billions and billions of dollars. I, I just wanted to be like, even though like all the owners, their core goal is to make money off their investments. Yep. Some of them also do it while loving the game of baseball simultaneously. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm with you on that. Like uh, it, to the extent I have any preferences for commissioners, it's that guy. I just don't know, you know, completely who those people actually are. Right. Like, exactly. Like, honestly, like in the NFL, Jerry Jones gets yelled at too much because Jerry Jones actually cares a lot about the Cowboys winning. He's bad at it, making it happen. Um, and he meddles too much. And, and he's still a greedy billionaire for sure. But he actually like cares about football. There's a bunch of people. There's a bunch of owners that I wish were more like him. But, you know, uh, there's also a lot of these guys who are just um, hedge fund guys and capital like like just just concerned of return on investment they're the worst and like uh, bill our friend with the cardinals yep uh, right <laughs> yes, exactly and we never right. questioned whether selig loved the game of baseball you knew that bud selig loved the game of baseball and that he was trying to do things to make baseball better and that it wasn't just like a matter of investment and whatever even if you disagreed with him and thought he was wrong about a bunch of stuff yep. you never questioned that part of it like the underlying intent and all I see is Rob Manfred hates baseball. Like you just see it constantly all over well, the place. Look at everything he's done. Everything he's done has been a, a profitability versus a game enhancement standpoint. Mm -hmm. Like the, the pace of play changes aren't based on improving the quality of the game. It's improving it's the watchability of the game. Right. Exactly. So yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. I think, uh, kind of looping back to the owner's question, we actually got a Patreon question that kind of touches on this, so I want to get to it right now. Adam Post asked us, how do we think MLB club owners view owning a team? We kind of touched on this subject. As in, we hear often about them talking about their teams as businesses, as opposed to how owners of many European soccer clubs seem to view their teams as playthings or willing to operate them at losses mm -hmm. just so they're good. Kind of getting back to your Jerry Jones point. So I guess how do we overall see owners in Major League Baseball as opposed to other leagues? Uh, so I, I won't I won't pretend to understand foreign billionaires because I don't. <laughs> um, and they may be exactly the same as American billionaires. But American billionaires have have changed somewhat over time. Now we, we've always had Robert Barron types. You've always had that around. But you definitely used to have more of the play thing, I think, especially on sports teams where you actually cared about where the, the owner actually cared about the team winning and, you know, putting it to the other owners by winning, not by making more money. Uh, you still have that. Like Mark Cuban, I think, is like that, even though, you know, again, not necessarily a, a good guy, but I think he cares about the Mavericks winning. He shows up. He goes to games. Honestly, the best judge of this is probably does your owner actually show up to games regularly and watch? Um, if not, sure. that's not a good sign. Um, but there's definitely been a change over the last like 50 um, years, probably longer than that, where um, where billionaires judge themselves against each other by how much they make and really how much they hoard. Um, you know, Apple has a bunch of money sitting around doing nothing, you know, not being productive in the economy right now, just so Apple people can say that they have the biggest company with the most money out there. That's not good. That's not how the economy is supposed to work. Uh, money is supposed to get filtered into productive uses via capital markets. And 
in baseball, money was supposed to get funneled to making your team super good. Like, think about if you, uh, if the Yankees were run differently for right. most of the century with profit in mind over destroying everybody else. I was going to bring up Steinbrenner as like example number one of this, yeah. right? Like he, he pissed off a lot of owners because he was unapologetic. Like, I am going to make my team better. I have yeah. money. Screw you. Exactly. And if you're so. a Yankee fan, what do you want? Do you, do you want, as, I mean, do you want the team like being best of breed and spending money and getting all the best players for a hundred years and winning way more titles than everybody else? Or do you want a team that's like maximizing profits and building a kind of a crappy new stadium that isn't a good place to watch? And, um, you know, not going over the luxury tax for a little bit so that you don't make the playoffs for a while. Is that, is that what you want? And that's how Hank and that's how Hank Steinbrenner and Hal are now running the team. Like they're running the team very much in that venture capital style, as opposed to the George, just wants to win style exactly right i mean the yankees are going to make a billion dollars anyway so exactly but yeah and and bully for them at the club they'll be able to tell a nice story about how they made a billion dollars in the baseball team they won't be able to show off any trophies but uh you know well we don't know that we're like maybe they get a belt each year for most profit just like the r belt (laughs) just just like the r belt oh i wonder if they have a profit belt that would be it. <laughs> I want to actually. <laughs> if only there was a way to find out. Uh, <laughs> we know that they listen to us, so maybe they'll. Maybe they will tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. I there mean, the thing is, there are, as any group, there's there's a mixture of people. Mark Antonazio tends to be a little bit more on the he wants to win side because you could see, like, I was just watching the uh, 2008 game 162 the other day and you could see him gleefully like a little child running with the players and spraying champagne like that was his way to be like part of that world that he you know he wanted probably to be a baseball player and couldn't be so that was his way to be part of that world and like we need more of that attitude than the attitude that seems to be winning out and Jonathan Judge friend of the pod has and I think he was on early on in our time here has talked about this too that a big part of what he thinks drives some of the more cost conscious yeah. motivation is the need to show profitability because baseball teams have gotten so big in terms of the amount of money that they're worth that to purchase them, you have to have a lot of smaller investors along with right. them. One person can't really like there aren't many people who can just afford to like buy a, a whole baseball team. So that means that you have to be showing because these smaller investors are really there for the profitability. Yes. And so, yeah. Jonathan talks about um, silent partners a lot. If you go search those terms in Bacala on Twitter, you'll come up with all of his writing on that. Um, I'm sure he's written for a prospectus on it too. But that is true. There is a there's a chunk of ownership with every team that is absolutely concerned with getting profits, and they can exude some pressure on the sort of face of the franchise owner, whoever that is. It's important to remember that because Mark Antanasio himself does not actually own a majority share of the Brewers. He owns a plurality of the Brewers. So th- there's a chunk of ownership underneath him that uh, has, if they want to, more sway than he does. And that is the case for a lot of teams out there. Yeah, absolutely. I guess kind of zooming out to the big picture here, does any side come out of this whole COVID schedule mess looking good i mean we kind of talked like the, the players seem to be getting more support but does anybody come out of this looking good no i mean this is a this question is more about you than it is about anybody else like from my vantage point i think the players did a fine job here i'm very impressed with their legal representation um the, the owners look, <laughs> right. the owners look evil and their uh, attorneys appear to be incompetent 
So that's how they look to me. But I mean, you're you're going to be different no matter depending on what you see and like what you actually care. Uh, I, uh, frankly, a lot of fans, just casual fans, only care if the game is played. That's I mean, that's fine. I, it's not your responsibility to be an expert in baseball by enjoying baseball. <laughs> and in that sense, no, nobody looks good here. Um, it's not necessarily fair to the players, I don't think, but it is still true. Um, there's still millionaires arguing with billionaires, and I know um, not all players are millionaires, not even close. Um, so that is. Honestly, the player should do a better job on that messaging too. But it, it's the public <laughs> perception, right? It is a the guy public making, perception. Yeah, a guy making fifty thousand who sees a, a group of people where the lowest one will make is six hundred thousand. It isn't right. going to identify in a positive way with that nope. person. Absolutely not. Well, and people root for right. the laundry. Like their primary rooting interest is for the team, and that usually means that at least on some sort of subconscious level, people side more with owners than with the players. And there's right. been years and years and years of setting that up in you know the media and just the way the game is covered yep. and the way the game is talked about. That this is you know this isn't an accident. This has been set up over time. Well, before I started becoming the fan I am today, which is a fan who really like gets in, involved in the intricacies of baseball and understands a, a lot of the inner workings, I was the guy who rooted for the discount on the player. I was the guy who really <laughs> celebrated having, uh, you know, a a guy who we felt like we got him for $20 million less than he should have signed on the big year deal. It was something that I always want, you know, Oh, CC Sabathia should have given the brewers the discount instead of taking all the like 70 million <laughs> additional dollars he got with the Yankees bull crap like that. But as you come to understand it and really invest yourself, you understand that, Oh, actually the like amount of money going to the players versus the amount of money going to the owners is so different. They actually do deserve that amount of money because they're the ones who make it profitable. But base fan Brad, which I think was representative of more people than I am now, yep. just wanted the team to be in a good situation. And they bought the bull crap where it was like, well, oh, the team was in the red last year, so they can only spend so much. We should also blame Moneyball for this, which really put a focus right. as the, the GM superstar and the, the value of getting surplus wins and not spending above what they can. Like um, That is also right. ingrained into... I mean, it's one thing if you're a super casual fan who doesn't care that much but just wants to see baseball. It's another thing that a bunch of like our, you know, co-stat nerd people and, you know, right. writers for Prospectus and Fangraphs and other places for a long time, like that's the framework that they viewed the game through. And it, it that can get into your head in a bad way, which right. you know, I, I'm, I'm sure I can cop to being guilty of that for quite a while myself. So. I was going to say, like all of us kind of came up in that, sort generation so to speak at least knowing in the in the brewer sphere you know like we've all talked to each other on twitter for 10 years yeah. now where we've kind of shared the same ideas I mean, we all kind of came up on the whole you know like the the fire joe morgan stuff and and kind of the the biting criticism of anybody who wasn't getting that value right like mm -hmm. we all made fun of the stupid gms who spent the money and all that kind of thing so yeah yeah we did uh <laughs> so we're by no means perfect either but yeah i think i think we're kind of starting to see a shift in that uh, perception. I guess speaking of players who aren't being millionaires, uh, <laughs> that'll include the Brewers draft picks this year. <laughs> only five draft picks, only five rounds this year. And even our, our, our guy Garrett Mitchell drafted in round one won't be a millionaire, at least for several years, because his bonus is going to be deferred. So <laughs> to 
to kind of run through the draft uh, really quick, first round, they took Garrett Mitchell, outfielder. Second round, they took shortstop Freddie Zamora out of Miami. Catcher Xavier Warren went in round three. Outfielder Joey Weimer in round four. And they rounded it out with infielder Hayden Cantrell in round five. So that's those are the Brewers draft picks this year. Uh, as we can get into it a little bit more, uh, there's a possibility for undrafted free agents and stuff that opened up today, Sunday. But for now, uh, we've got the Patreon question from Jay Google. Basically, just asking, what do you think of the Brewers' draft this year? From a lot of reports, uh, the Brewers seem to have gotten good value on their picks. Also, looks like the Brewers focused on war for the guys they drafted. So, I guess, Brad, we'll go to you. Uh, what are your first impressions on the draft overall here? Uh, I really liked it, and it was pretty easy to see, as friend of the pod slash former host Jim pointed out, that... The Brewers were really focusing on kind of a recency bias on what they could see, and that was summer in the Cape. So they got a bunch of players who performed exceptionally well in the Cape Cod and showed off that they had improvements. Garrett Mitchell obviously was the one of the best players in college baseball in 2019. Uh, I think there were maybe four underclassmen who weren't eligible for the draft who outperformed him in all of collegiate sports last year, according to the new Sea War that has been put together. So you have a, at that pick, you have a very valuable guy. Uh, Ryan and I have talked about on the, you know, other on the minor league extra that he does need some work with the bat. There are some fears that he might need some changes to his swing. Um, At the very least, he has more power in there that teams will likely want to try to get out, which means changes to the swing and the Brewers haven't had the best success with that. So that's a little worrying. But Zamora, he was actually a guy who a lot of people expected could sneak into the first round, but had an ACL injury that knocked his value down. You're looking at, I think, four of the players are in Eric Longenhagen's top 100. So in terms of maximum value, there's a lot to enjoy there. I think Weimer is the most prospect of the group, but he also is a guy who could have 60-plus tools across the board but it just is he's really shown the batter, batter of the power. So it's on the team to get that out. Again, it's a team that hasn't been great at the develops, but it's worth the gamble, especially at a fourth round pick in a draft like this, where you can get a potential superstar at that range if you, everything were to go right. Almost never does anything break right unless it's a prospect who almost needs no handling. Keston Hero, Ryan Braun. But It's still a positive all in all. Mitchell's really interesting in that we've seen people put 70 raw on his power. Yep. And that's that's wild because he like he's surprising to me. He is a big dude. And like when so when you talk about raw power, you're talking about like what guys show off in batting practice and like just how far a guy can hit the ball when it's not like game conditions. And it's tough to sometimes access that for players and his swing that he uses in games is not going to access that power. So if they do have to make significant swing changes, that is the big, the big bugaboo because the Brewers just don't have that yeah. great a track record with that lately. The, the guy I saw actually um, point out the the sea war uh, tendency uh, on Twitter. I, I want to mention real quick was um, Ryan Arcon 14, who is a friend of reporting as eligible and will probably be on it in a bit. And also a former high level baseball player himself. So um, I wanted to give some props there because all of the Brewers guys were very high in it. And I do, um, he had an interesting uh, sort of comp for the Mitchell floor, which was that raw power um, 
uh, with like a kind of a guy who can't move very well, maybe doesn't play that well. But all of his other tools are good enough, and as a like potential center fielder, that it, it, you got superstar here if he can tap into that raw and turn it into something. But if right. you don't, he still might be able to muscle out like twenty a year, and even with a low OBP, still be like a pretty valuable fourth outfielder. So with I, I, speed uh, and defense, absolutely with speed yeah. and defense. So uh, like with guys like swing with swings like that, a lot of times I'm very down on them because they don't always put it together, and a, a bad swing can ruin your whole career. But uh, I like him like a toolsy guy with that problem sounds much, 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 much better to me. And, you know, if you want to imagine like a Carlos Gomez with more power, I I could see that happening. And there was an interesting thing brought up on ESPN about Mitchell, which I didn't actually catch the whole interview. I only caught the back end of it. So I didn't see what they were talking about that led up to it. But they were talking to Mitchell specifically about the fact that he's a type one diabetic in the age of covid and that like they brought that up specifically in the interview and it kind of reframed for me because so far we've talked about when we've talked about the type one diabetes thing it's been because of the fact that there's much more ability for players to monitor it and to manage it and he's done a good job of managing it he's played a lot of games he's missed very little time in his college career but I think reframing it as a question of I wonder how many teams took him off the board because of what was going on with COVID, knowing that he is in a high risk category that he could if if he were to contract COVID it because of the type one diabetes, there could be additional complications there that are really, really tough for him personally and you know for his long-term health outlook forget being a baseball player but just for his his health outlook overall so i i do wonder how much of that is why teams were scared off of him because apparently there were a number of teams that just took him off their board they weren't going to draft him huh the interesting thing with his swing getting back to that because i do think that's a valid point ryan is you're you're dealing with someone where if something goes wrong this summer he could face a medical difficulty that no longer makes him able to play baseball. I mean, we know about the long-term repercussions to um, internal organs, arteries, and lungs that come with having COVID. And especially when you're in the high susceptible category, it makes you frail. Uh, And we don't know how long that lasts, obviously. We don't know if that's lifelong, but we know that it's long-lasting at best with his swing though what i liked is when he was talking in the espn interview and in the interview with a lot of the brewers beat writers is he did actually talk about how he teams were afraid of his swing he made swing changes in college and his coaches seemed to want the willie mays hayes type player Uh, it almost sounded like they they almost would have things yeah it almost sounded like they wanted the type of situation where they were going to make him do push-ups if he put it in the air. But it, it was very much they wanted a flat swing and they wanted his uh, speed that some scouts have graded up to 80, which is as fast as it gets, yep. to maximize balls put in play. So if in good news, when you see a player have success with coaching changes in college, even if they were the wrong changes, that does show that he's easily coachable and could Versus like a Corey Ray. Corey Ray had a swing that he did well with that wasn't really tinkered with. He just was a high performer. He was a high performer coming out of high school. He performed well in Louisville. Um, then the Brewers tried to get more power out of his swing, and now he he is what he is. Um, he's, he's yeah. He's key, he's key on Broxton's ceiling at this point, which is a fine fourth outfielder. But now we have Keon Broxton, so and we already know he's there. Um, 
So Mitchell having that coachability, I think, gives me more promise for him. I also like that Zamora uh, getting to some of the other draft picks because we focus so much on Mitchell. He had a character issue flamed on most of his scouting reports uh, that you see from analysts around the league the, because he got suspended for skipping class. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. I mean, right. I'm human too, Freddie. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, guys, guys will get suspended and... I mean, they're college aged and we all know that college aged people do stupid things from time to time. And like, it's a question of learning from it and moving on. The, The one I was really interested in was Xavier Warren, because he really played very little catcher in college. He uh, was a shortstop primarily at, was it central Michigan, Brad? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And he has a ton of athleticism and the Brewers have done this kind of over and over with guys trying to, usually it's been uh, trying to see if they can get a guy who has a really good bat to like shoehorn in at catcher, even though they maybe don't have like the, the athleticism and the tools to do it. They want to see if they can like teach them how to play that way. Whereas with, with Warren, it looks like they're going to take extreme athleticism and try to, hone the skills of a catcher into that and it's really interesting because the bat if he is able to stay at catcher the bat looks like it would definitely play like yeah, he does catcher, have a solid bat at catcher his controlled zone and high contact would be a phenomenal offensive profile and there's a little uh, bit of pop else, there too right like there's some doubles yeah. power that could potentially grow into more as he you know fills out yeah. and just matures and the team had moved him back to catcher a little in the spring, but obviously we only got to see so much of that, especially playing in Central Michigan, where not only did your season get shortened because of COVID, but it also limits the amount you can play due to weather. Where Thomas Dillard and KJ Harrison caught in an emergency basis, which were the two in the last three seasons before this that the Brewers drafted, they were more first baseman, maybe a left outfielder types who were bulky good power profiles and maybe could fit behind the plate. Uh, KJ Harrison, you know, they, they tried that. And then when they trade him to the nationals, uh, <laughs> the nationals immediately threw it away. And were like, just go stand at first base and hit homers. <laughs> Thomas Dillard, they draft him as a catcher, but I think he only saw like a game there last year. Whereas, you know, it does seem, and they were both also catchers who caught in high school, the same as Warren. But Xavier Warren really seems to actually have a chance where other teams were looking at him that this way. It wasn't even necessarily locked down to the Brewers. It was other teams were in consideration to actually put him there because of his high athleticism. That makes him someone who you think will have. And the reason athleticism is important is because you have to make quick, decisive actions behind catcher in order to block pitches and react to balls coming at you at 100 miles per hour. So you need to have that type of movement and kind of ability and reaction time back there. Well, and so as it, the the requirements at catcher may be changing, if we go to a you know an automated strike zone where presenting sure. pitches and that skill that you really have to like work on and hone, if that becomes less important, then what's going to be left of catcher defense is the athleticism, being able to block pitches and being able to throw. Blocking and throwing right. will be what is important, and he should be pretty well suited to that so that that'd be interesting to follow going forward too yep and then hayden cantrell looks like a uh over slot pick that they got in value in the fifth round based on the interviews he said he thought he wasn't gonna get drafted because he said his 
monetary expectations pretty high. Brewers called before the draft ended, said, will you take this money? He said, heck yeah. And here we are. Uh, so uh, he seems to be, again, a guy who performed well in the Cape, a guy who performed really well in 2019, had a good sea war coming out of that season, but performed like lost a pretty good amount of draft stock because he really floundered in the 30 or so games or in the 30 or so plate appearances that he got before the season was ended. Uh, but a good versatility. Uh, yeah, can Cantrell could... play shortstop at the major league level? I kind of wonder. Like, I think he's more of a second baseman, third baseman type. They they think he's going to shine if he plays second base, third base, but they think he can be average at shortstop. It all depends on how much more bulk he builds up and if he loses some speed. Sure, absolutely. So lots of pieces to dream on there. And and the interesting thing, the interesting note out of this draft was that the Brewers took five college bats in the first five rounds, no pitchers, no high schoolers. I think this, I don't have the number in front of me, but it's like the first time since the early two thousands, they did that. 2003, um, I believe the Ricky Weeks sounds draft. right. Exactly. So five college bats in the first five rounds, Ryan, do you think it's, do you think that's just a result of best player available? Or do you think it's the unique scouting situation they were under Sort of like Brad was saying, a lot of these guys played in the Cape, and that's probably where they scouted them last year. Do you think that has something to do with it, or is it just kind of best player available? Yeah, I, I kind of wondered about this, and I think it's something that we're going to try to ask whoever we're able to get on to talk about a little bit and see. I wonder, and I have nothing to back this up other than just pure speculation on my part, but I wonder if it might have had something to do with the fact that they know that it's going to be rough development-wise uh, for the next year year and a half who knows that it's going to be difficult for them to do that and that they felt more comfortable getting guys who were position players in this draft to be able to work with them on what they need to do to, to stay sharp as opposed to pitchers who like the the health outlook and trying to to manage them from afar might be a little bit more difficult, but that might even be just wrong-handed on my part. So I'm I'm very interested to see if if like the COVID situation and the fact that development is going to be so weird for the foreseeable future played a role into this, but I really don't know. My understanding was it was development focused, but again, that's something we'll check with people who have a little bit more reliable information than uh, we do. But what because I believe the process was if you take these advanced bats, except for Weimer, the other four are pretty advanced bats with good understanding of the zones is you can at worst start them at class a next year. And if they perform well, quickly move them to a plus, which is taking a pretty good chunk out of their development time. So you are talking about guys who by next season could be at high a, or if you perform exceptionally well and you're uh, Garrett Mitchell, could be a double A if things go, I mean, things got to go very well for that to be the situation. And that's a, like, you begin at the middle of August at double A if the season happens. But it, it's one of those things where you're looking at guys who start at higher levels, taking a good chunk of their development out of the equation because they're already going to be hitters that can be facing it the now uh, Arizona league as we lose Colorado Springs in the equation. So they, they are guys who can, you can fill in on that a, a plus level. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so the development is kind of an interesting question, I think too, because now the question is, I guess, where do these guys go with kind of no minor league season? We're assuming 
Uh, we got a Twitter question from Michael Hank. Knowing him, he may have been half joking, but also it's a good question to think about. Where do you think the 2020 draftees will work until organized baseball returns in 2022? So he's kind of speculating <laughs> on the strike. But at the same time, I think it's an interesting question to think about. Like, how do, how do these guys develop? Do they just go to the Arizona facility in the meantime? Or what do they do, basically? Well, until well, yeah. Arizona facility for the time being is open, although Arizona seeing one of the bigger spikes in the country in COVID cases. So we'll see how long that lasts, but it is open for guys to come in and work in. So right now that just seems logical in the case of a strike. Um, I don't, I don't really know. I'm not studied in how minor league players react to that situation. They're not represented <laughs> by the MLBPA. Do they, but at the same time, I, as far as I understand, running a minor league team is actually run at a loss because the profits all go to the general managers of, or like the owners of those organizations mm-hmm. and the teams are paying for them to operate. So it's like the one thing maybe we trust the owners on in that regard, because they're not profiting off of the outcome of those teams, unless they all of a sudden start using a minor league scab roster which uh, is not hasn't happened. It would be an incredibly dangerous precedent to set that I think would get Rob Manford pushed out the door. Well, I, I think there's kind of two questions baked in here. We'll, we'll treat Michael as if he's acting about the strike question too. But um, <laughs> I, uh, I think Arizona is the, the answer for now because it, COVID notwithstanding, this is why they invested in Arizona specifically. So they had these kind of developmental facilities available Um to, to develop people outside of the um, the normal gameplay. Um, and, and that's what they'll use it for. It, they probably didn't completely anticipate um, this particular situation happening when they were doing it, but it is exactly the reason that they do have the facility um, and have you know something along the, along the lines of a, a driveline-esque state-of-the-art development place that people can go to when there's not games being played. Um, the, 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 better, the better question is actually the strike question, I think, which is, um, at that point, you know, you, you can't get into major league owned facilities and, um, you're not going to cross picket lines if you're a minor league or not represented by the union. I don't think that, that would be quite the thing to do for your career. I suspect in that instance that the players association would probably come up with some, some work, some developmental tips, some places to go, some recommendations and kind of take that on themselves. Um, you know, there are obviously players who do this, you know, we have our Trevor Bowers who we always cite, but, uh, you know, players are good these days about keeping themselves ready for the most part. There's 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 a few exceptions to that. They know what they're doing in terms of keeping themselves in shape. But I do think in this is a modern change for like a modern work stoppage. Players would be much better than ever at keeping their own um, fi- fitness up, their own work up. And uh, I think for the younger kids that they'll actually have more resources to actually continue development. Maybe not what baseball would want them to be doing, but, um, you know, we have some tried and true things that you can actually do now that are widely known to help out. So um, it would look a lot different than it has in the past. Yeah, absolutely. So the other aspect, we mentioned this before, with only five rounds, everybody else is available to be an undrafted free agent. The catcher, of course, they can only earn $20,000 as their signing bonus. So nobody who's anybody is going to sign for that. Uh, But that period starts today. Uh, as we record this Sunday, and the early indications are it's a bit of a mess. Who could have possibly <laughs> predicted that? So we have a Patreon question from Darren Jones on that uh, with the undrafted free agency starting up and those offers being capped. What other elements could the Brewers promote while 
you know, so-called recruiting against 29 other organizations for the same amateur talent, because that's kind of the system we're setting up now is you kind of have to give a sales pitch, A, to sign for that little and B, choose your organization over somebody else. So I guess, uh, Paul, do you have any thoughts on how, how they can sell this? <laughs> I, I mean, there's a bunch of players who are just going to be uh, who are marginal. Um, the people who are looking at this have no options in terms of going somewhere else to play. Um, I mean, they turned it into NCAA recruiting, which is stupid and ridiculous. That, that's that's what this is at this point. It's it's selling your team's developmental facilities, access to them, um, how you treat people in the future, even though you're treating these people like dirt now. Cough, angels, cough. Yeah. Exactly. Yes. So you could play people off each other, but but I mean, that's 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 all a, a very minor issue. And this whole thing is is just a ridiculous cost savings measure that's going to have wide ranging effects into the future in terms of the talent available in future drafts um, and capping earnings on players for an additional year that otherwise wouldn't have been capped. So um, I'm sure that they have a strategy worked out for soliciting some of the people they think might sign, but for the most part. Uh, those people are never going to make a difference anywhere. They're just roster fodder that is getting underpaid, even as roster fodder. Um, so uh, it, uh, bad situation. That that provision was stupid. I understand why they did it. It 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 was kind of necessary with a short draft. Otherwise, you should just get rid of the draft. You should just get rid of the draft. Um, but uh, but but I mean, it really they turned themselves into into college. And you know, uh, one of the things about about college recruiting when you can't pay people their market rates. Sometimes weird things happen, sometimes dirty things happen, and sometimes underhanded things happen, as in any market that turns itself into a black market. So well, and we've seen this too. over and over in Latin America in baseball. There have been teams, the Red Sox have been punished, uh, the Reds going back, there was the scandal with Jim Bowden where he was skimming uh, he was skimming bonuses. I mean, all kinds of yep. awful things have happened there because players' salaries were artificially suppressed. And so, yeah, you you create a black market situation there. Uh, Kylie McDaniel actually talked about this pretty well in a tweet from this morning and talked about the, the vast majority of the undrafted free agents who will sign are seniors who were going to get between 10,000 and like 50,000 normally. So they may take a little, you know, I shouldn't say a little bit of a haircut. If you were going to sign for 50,000 and now you can only sign for 20, well, you, you know, you're taking a, a massive cut there, you know, on, on what you could have gotten before. But he also did point out that the best undrafted free agents that are expected to sign today are the guys who would normally go for like 125,000 or 150,000. So really like taking just a tiny fraction of what they would get. And he said the type is an arm strength reliever who that will get more innings pitched and better coaching in pro ball. So they're just going to make the jump right away and get in there and get, uh, get started on the development process of becoming a big league pitcher uh, earlier. So we are apparently seeing some guys who are taking a, a really significant uh, cut from what they would have gotten otherwise signing at least a few. Right. I mean, part of it is betting on yourself. And part of it, I think we've talked about this in previous weeks too. There's an impending storm of basically oversupply of talent that you know it, in the future these guys you know if if the draft is only 20 rounds they may not get drafted then either so some of them may figure it's just better to get started in pro ball as you and kylie said ryan um as opposed to just kind of waiting it out another year i guess brad do you see 
anything going on here, like at, in terms of, of who do you think would sign? There already have been some of the like BA top 500 players signed. I think there's some ego concerned in it. It also depends on what the organizations have to offer. Are they teams that pay their minor league players more already? Are you kind of making up for that by agreeing to a team that has a better setup for those players? The other thing that Kylie McDaniel points out is we may see something that's a little unprecedented, uh, that the NPB is rumored to be looking at top undrafted free agents for low six-figure bonuses, kind of swiping in and getting those players, which has been an untouched field in the past. It's kind of been... Okay, MLB won't touch your players, uh, you don't touch our, uh, our players. And they divide the countries until those times come up where the players can be posted, the international players can be posted and sent over to other teams. But this is an opportunity to look at even some of these high school players who might have played for 200000 or signed for 200000 and draft them. I imagine they'll be looking more at the 100,000 to 150,000 college players who can help their team because they don't have the developmental system quite as established as MLB does. Obviously, they are able to develop because they sign their own 17 and 18-year-olds all the time. But they they don't have an entire four-tier system that does that on their behalf. So, you know... Even if some of those top players are willing to sign at 20000 not top players, but the players who would have been for lesser bonuses and are taking an 80000 to 90000 cut, which there will be some, very, very few, though, uh, just because of pure ego, now they have competition in a place that they've never had competition before. Yeah, it is really yeah. interesting. We'll see how easy it is for players to get over to Japan. I think that might be, in at least in the short term, something of an issue of you know, just physically being able to get over there and mm-hmm. make the trek back and forth. But yeah, I mean, baseball has left a vacuum here where there's a bunch of players who normally would be professional baseball players this summer who are not going to get a signed contract and they're going to be looking for other places to go. You know, the, the guys who want to continue their careers and keep developing and chase that major league dream, they're going to find places to go. And I, yeah, I'm not surprised at all that NPB and, you know, KBO are looking at poaching some of these guys and bringing them over. It's, and it's frankly, it's what MLB deserves. And I I bet you that the executives who wanted a longer draft anyway, don't even necessarily really mind it. it. It doesn't bother them because they're perfectly willing to go over and scout and, and pick guys out of Japan and Korea based on their talent and and what they can see with you know analytics and with their eyes so i don't think it's even like that big a deal to them so good for good for them definitely not if anything it saves some money on development right it just then creates a chase for the the only thing that really hurts the team is they won't have exclusive rights they'll have to fight with other teams to get those players sure yeah it's it's definitely interesting and uh the idea of comp competition for players kind of leads into one of our patreon questions so we'll get to it now Silatam asking we've seen other leagues come and go trying to take on the nfl uh he's asking is it really possible for another baseball league to seriously take on mlb uh so you know we, we talked about japan korea there's also the american association independent ball uh they're actually starting play july 3rd uh so you know maybe that's another route for for players to go if they 
were undrafted or want to play somewhere. I guess, Paul, do you see any other, I guess it's hard to see legitimate threats to MLB, uh, but other avenues to get players sort of yeah. like we saw with uh, football. Just taking the question for for like a legitimate like XFL style threat, um, I think baseball is a lot harder than a lot of other sports, football in particular. Um, it's a lot easier to put on 16 games or, you know, less um, than it is to put on a full season of baseball or even something that would compete. Like if you're not going to do 162, anything around 100 um, is a big investment. And baseball is not uh, football is, you know, it's still like the king, the the growing sports Um it's easy to see what people would enter that market. Baseball is not. It's also super regionalized. Um, it's hard to put together a big national league that would compete with the base with uh, with Major League Baseball, because it is such a regional sport in terms of popularity. It's much more easy to pop up an independent regional league that can sustain itself, but that is not itself competition for Major League Baseball. There's so much tradition there too, with stats going back hundreds of years and old timey men who like it that aren't going to jump to like an XFL style you know baseball game it, it just very very difficult to do so not a threat but I, I do think this is an opportunity for some of the indie league teams um if they could um it, it, it's it's always been very hard to make it in, in independent baseball from an ownership perspective uh, it is a very low margin business um it, it is very difficult like th- these are the owners who are actually being truthful when they say it's a hard business um and it really is a labor of love for a lot of them but there's opportunity here um because baseball is shooting itself in the foot there's there's a chance for growth there are better players that you can advertise that you're getting that aren't going to be playing you can give them an opportunity to make them face the franchise and you can really even take maybe take a shot at expanding your media a little bit i mean we, we do a we do a radio show now um 20 years ago this this was impossible what we're doing right now right. it's easier to broadcast games have them on youtube and you know there's methods to get your stuff out there that didn't exist previously for small guys so yeah, I think there's opportunity here, but no, nobody's going to ever challenge baseball for supremacy absent just a colossal disaster of some kind. The XFL can function as a minor league, right? Or all these other leagues that have have tried to pop up and, and be competition for the NFL. Their primary objective was to start at least as a minor league, take the talent that was and, left over. And also an off-season minor league. Right. Ba- you can't right. play baseball in the winter across the country. Um, right. So you'd you have to be... in half the country, but not across the country. Yeah, you'd have to be in purely southern markets or whatever. And I mean, yeah. the, frankly, like baseball already has the minor league system. Baseball already has this history. The last time there was a league that seriously challenged for major league supremacy was the Federal League. And that was, you know, that was why Wrigley Field got built, guys. So <laughs> was was for that. So like... It's been a while. I know that there was talk that the PCL could potentially become a third major league, um, the Pacific Coast League, back in the yep. era before MLB teams moved to the West Coast and started expanding out there. But then they did that and made that basically a non-starter. So it really, yeah, I, I don't see that happening. Like Paul said, I think it would take an absolute disaster from MLB leaving just a you know a giant gaping wound yep. uh for anybody else to try to come sneaking in. And also there isn't the infrastructure available to replicate what MLB has to offer like there is for say the NFL. The NFL there are stadium there are high school stadiums that can seat 70,000 in Texas. Uh there are sizable places where you can go and have a comparable experience but you're not dealing with the, those types of stadiums i mean you look at yep. the milkman stadium i think it sits like five thousand. 
right. and it doesn't have the facilities or the amenities that the teams need in terms of what Major League Baseball can offer in terms of rehab, preparedness, uh, warm-ups, yeah. and those type of activities. Yeah, I think so. You, baseball is the most barriers to entry. Like football is a short season, and a lot of people willing to play it. Um, and a lot of facilities in existence. The NBA has small teams. You can build an NBA arena. I mean, there's college arenas everywhere. That baseball stadiums take up a lot of real estate. Um, baseball development is harder than any other sport. Uh, it, it's just a, a big uphill battle to actually build this um, from scratch again. Right, absolutely. With that said, I think our friend Kyle Isniewski from Brooker Ball also works with the Milkman. Would appreciate if you know we threw in the plug, like go check out the Milkman. If you know, especially if major league owners are continuing to be jerks about this thing uh there will be some sort of baseball being played in milwaukee starting in july so go check out the milkman uh we've got a few other patreon questions i want to get to really quick before we go here a couple from pj wessels so his first question is probably heard in the last week or so a guy broke into miller park (laughs) and tried to write his name in cursive on the field and he did pj is asking if you had free reign in miller park what would you do or how would you do it to leave your mark uh brad go first I don't know. I'm not creative enough to like damage a, a field in a way where it's like people are going to remember Brad Bowen's name forever. I, I guess I'll go with my most recent reaction to people tearing statues down. Um, if I had free reign in Miller Park, I would come in with animal companions and I would put a Hank statue out for every re- life of Hank that's been out there. All three Hanks. <laughs> and I would add a three Hank statue to the statue area. Did you guys read the story of this? Because th- it sounds like the grounds crew watched him and yep. were like taking video of him. Yep. It's, it's fantastic. Um, I'm, uh, all the quotes in that article are awesome. Uh, just <laughs> <laughs> And then like he started hamming it up because he had an audience. And yeah. so, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I have no. <laughs> I've. I, I've- I was tempted when uh, they were pouring all over downtown Milwaukee. Uh, they were pouring uh, cement in uh, crosswalks. So like the the little ramps down into crosswalks. And we walked by one and I looked at my wife and I'm like, should we put our initials in there? And she's like, no, I do not want to get arrested. Like, we're not going to. So I'm, I'm too big a coward to do anything like this. But uh, yeah, it, I don't know. All right. Well, I put a lot of thought into this. Okay, um, good. And uh, so here's what I would do. Um, I, I would first acquire um, all of the clothing that Tom Berenger wore in Major League when he's doing his <laughs> fake home run in County Stadium, uh, which I believe is a cream suit and a pink button-down shirt and some nice loafers. Um, and I would get a few friends nice. to accompany me if possible to get the camera angles right. And then I would do the same thing where he pretends to hit a home run and, and very slowly runs around the bases like the old man that he is. Um, and then I would in post put the music for Major League over it and then circulate it on the internet and make the brewers wonder how the heck I managed to do that. Okay, so <laughs> going amazing. with that idea, Paul, I like the Costner idea from Bull Durham where the, the oh my God, it's a natural disaster. And they turn on all the sprinklers <laughs> and then go like uh, sliding on the on the dirt and the in the mud on that. That would uh, that would be fun. That's good. I like right. that. Um yeah, I was tempted to go with the slide, but you can like get, get yeah. that in auctions and stuff. So that's even like achievable. So yeah, do something that's not achievable. As a, Can't you run the bases every too. Sunday if you just bring your kid? You can. Yeah, yes, you definitely can. <laughs> the only good reason to have a kid is to run the bases. <laughs> I just want Paul now to try to film that scene, but there's a bunch of kids he's pushing out of the way. <laughs> 
Uh, that's great. Okay, uh, PJ's second question for us. Uh, we're missing our soccer question of the week. So PJ's got our soccer question. Uh, no Bundesliga, but he's asking, and I'm assuming just Ryan because he's the only one that would know. <laughs> In the spirit of keeping this not just a Brewers podcast, we're all Man City fans for a day, so Liverpool can win the title at home and not at Goodison, agreed. Ryan, I have no idea what that means, but yes or no. So Liverpool is six points uh, either from them or from Man City losing from clinching their first title since, uh, uh, was it 89-90 was the last title Ah. that they won, and... So this pause has this Europe. Yeah, Yeah, this pause has been very uh, rough for Liverpool because they've been sitting there waiting for this title for a long time. And it's uh, they have like a 25 point lead. So there's no chance that they blow it. But just the question was, are they actually going to be able to clinch it and be done with it? And hell no, I I want this thing done as soon as possible, because who knows what (laughs) else is going to happen. So no, I I don't care if they clinch. Actually, clinching at Goodison, Goodison is the park uh, across the way from them. It's across Stanley Park in Liverpool, and it's where their uh, rival Everton plays. Mm. So that is, I, I would be perfectly fine clinching at Goodison. I, I would not. That wouldn't make me sad one bit, actually, uh, PJ. So I would I would love to clinch at Goodison. <laughs> that would be fantastic. All right. There's our soccer question for the week. Uh, we also got a Twitter question. Well, I guess I got a Twitter question <laughs> from Kyle. Uh, who is, oh, yeah. Hi, Kyle. Who is here, yeah, our, our, our buddy Kyle, who's here to help green, us about the way, bets. Kyle. Yeah. He asked, what's your favorite color? Specifically mine. He doesn't care about anyone else's. It's blue, uh, Kyle. It's blue, damn it. What yeah. if we just have all three of us answer and leave James out of it? Yeah, it's <laughs> a mystery. Because mine's right, blue, we got, too. We got green and two blues. Uh, I'll uh, I'll answer for you, Kyle. It's red. Thank you. No! All right. All right. The bit. It's dead. Uh, you killed yeah, the no, bit. I, that's what I'm here for, is to kill the <laughs> jokes and to keep things moving along. So uh, thanks to Kyle and everybody else for your questions. Uh, reminder, you can send questions to our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter account. That's at MKE Tailgate. We'll usually put out a call for questions every week before we record. You can also follow all of us on Twitter. Ryan is at RDTop. Paul is at Badger Noonan. Brad is at Brew Crew Blue. And I'm at James L. So you can ask us things like our favorite color anytime you want. If you haven't already, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Overcast, Pocketcast, anywhere else you listen to your podcasts. And while you're there, please do leave us a review to help other people find the podcast. And a reminder, you can also help support the podcast by becoming a patron. Just go to patreon.com slash MKE tailgate and you'll get priority when we send out those weekly call for questions and you do get a shout out when you sign up. That's all we have this week. We had a lot of fun talking about all of the stuff going on with the owners and the players, hopefully. But when we come back to you next week, we'll have an actual timeline for games being played. Until then, stay well. Thanks for listening. And we will see you next week on Milwaukee's tailgate. Yeah.